I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. That's wise. Um, so we're in Deuteronomy 23 today. And, um, <laughs> but I am not yet. Hold on. I don't know why I'm, I thought I opened to the right place and I did not. It seems to be the day I'm having. Deuteronomy 23. And, uh, yeah, you haven't seen where we are, but Rob's first response was, ouch. So, yeah, okay. Wait, am I in the right place? Yeah, but this is different. Oh, okay. So, okay, in, in the Chumash, in the, in the um, rabbinic broken up by... by uh, by portions with the notes. The last verse of 22 is the first verse of 23, whereas we read it last week. So, so they have a man shall not marry the wife of his father, um, and he shall not uncover the robe of his father. And, and my guess is um, that one of the reasons they do this is that these are the two things that most rabbis believe that uh, one or the other of these things happened to what is what Ham did to Moses. Mm -hmm. So they keep them together. What Ham did to Moses? What Ham did, no, I'm sorry. What Ham did to Noah. Oh, okay. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. What Ham did to his father Noah to cause him to be cursed. They believe that he either violated him in some way while he was drunk and passed out or castrated him or crushed his testicles so that he could not have another child. Wow. Which, which, that one they, they think, that they think that because he doesn't curse Ham, he curses Ham's fourth child, which he will now never be able to have. So that's, that's where that idea comes from. But, um, but regardless, don't do it. And then, um, so our Deuteronomy 23 starting, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Uh, this is kind of key because there's a passage from Paul where it talks about the eunuchs who have been in the temple. And it turns out that the Greek word that is translated eunuch is very close to the Greek word that is translated um, faithful devoted one. And so some scholars are now going, we're pretty sure that's supposed to be the faithful devoted one interpretation and not the eunuch, because the eunuchs would not have been allowed in the temple. So, um, you know, if, you're, if your male organ is, is damaged. damaged, cut off, crushed. Um, verse 2, we'll move on from that. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants may enter the, the assembly of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean your parents didn't want you to get married. It, you know, it's it, because he goes on to explain it's the marriages that God forbid. So, verse 3, no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them. Unless they convert? If they convert, then they're not, then they're, then they're okay. considered Israelites. They're no longer Ammonites or Moabites. Got it. Okay. Um, which is why it's, you know, it, it drives me crazy when people talk about Gentile Christians, quote-unquote, because you're one or the other. You can't be a Gentile and a Christian. If you're, if you're you know, truly following, well, I mean, I guess if you're 
calling yourself a Christian, but not really. I mean, but uh, but then you're not really Christian. So, um, you know, because it's Paul is very clear: you're either part of Israel or not. And and one Gentile, yes, it means the people of the other nations, but the implication at that time, like we're reading here, is if you were of the other nations, you were a pagan. So it's it's a synonymous it's a synonymous word for for the pagans of the other nations. So no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. So that act, they don't ever get to come in. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. And, you know, sometimes, actually in the last couple of weeks it came up, whenever I hear that people are trying to, you know, plot against me or cursing me, I, I instead of fear, Lord, just turn it into a blessing. Let the darts and arrows fall at their feet. Let them not be, you know, they can't curse whom you've blessed, and they can't bless whom you've cursed, and if I'm doing anything wrong, please feel free to tell me. Yes. <laughs> because lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, and then I'm not going to worry about them. So, um, verse 6, you shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. You shall not abhor an Edomite. For he is your brother. So, in, you know, the Ammonites and the Moabites, they're done. Forget them. The Edomites, no. You shall not abhor an Egyptian. The people who had them as slaves, you may not abhor them. Because you were a sojourner in his land. Children born to them in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. So if you marry an Egyptian by the third generation your kids can be back in the assembly. When you are encamped against your enemies, then you shall keep yourself from every evil thing. If any man among you becomes unclean because of a nocturnal emission, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp, but when evening comes, he shall bathe himself in water, and as the sun sets, he may come inside the camp. You shall have a place outside the camp, and you shall go out to it, and you shall have a trowel with your tools, and when you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrement. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yep. This is, yeah, this is, well, this is when you're encamped against your enemy. So when, when your men are out camped against the enemy, you have a nocturnal emission, you get out of the camp, you know, after sundown, you can bathe and come back in. If you have to poop, go outside of the camp, not inside the camp. Do not be pooping in your tent. Go out, do not be pooping next to your neighbor's tent. Go outside the camp, dig a hole, turn your back to the camp. You know, don't be all broadcasting, ah, pottying, you know. And then you bury it. This is just good camping etiquette. Because yes. the Lord your God... <laughs> The two military men are like, yeah, yeah, good, good. First thing you do. Good etiquette. That's it. Um, 14. Now, why? Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. 
So don't be leaving your poop out when God's going to walk through your camp. It's, or me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to step in. Yeah, I don't want to. I want to see it either. Uh, that was fourteen. Verse fourteen. Yeah. Oh. Then we jumped to nineteen. Do we? Did I do that? I almost did that somewhere else too, and I caught it. Okay, let's see. So I will go to reading now because apparently I did the same thing I did last week. <laughs> um, turn away from behind. Okay. Unless you just misnumbered it. No, I didn't know because I copied the number too. You shall not turn over to his master a slave who is rescued from his master to you. So if you rescue a slave, don't turn them back. Which, really? Well, if that was the kids, you need no, to get it. Oh, okay. Um, which is interesting because when Paul, the, the um, oh, what's, what's the book? What's the book? about the slave who comes to Paul and he sends him back with the letter. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't think of the name of the letter that he writes because it's the name of the, name of the slave. Um, now, all the names that are coming to me are not the right ones. I've just got random names running through my head now. Um, it's a teeny, 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 teeny book. Okay, I'm going to look at the index because now this is going to drive me crazy. We need to know what it is. Um, where's this? This is alphabetical. Okay, that's not going to help me. An alphabetical order of the Bible is not going to help. Uh, is it Philemon? I think it's Philemon. <laughs> 845. Because he, he comes and basically Paul sends him back with a letter because he and his, his um, you know, of course, this is an indentured servant situation, but he sends him back and pleads to the, to the other guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for Onesimus. Uh, Onesimus comes to him, and he, he sends him back with this letter. It says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, because both Onesimus and Philemon are believers. And so he says, um, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. Um, and he goes on talking about how wonderful. Oh, he says, I'm sending him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better, better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Yeah. So if he, if, he didn't, if he didn't have confidence that he would be received and treated well, he would have been violating this command to send him back. Um, so if any man, um, uh, blah, 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 okay, um, yeah, so don't, you don't turn a slave over to his master um, if you've rescued, if he's been rescued from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst in whatever place he will choose in one of your cities, which is beneficial to him. You shall not taunt him. So if an escaped slave comes and lives among you, you don't get to continually refer to him as that escaped slave or whatever. You, know, you, don't, you don't get to taunt him or, you know, he's, he's, he's there, you welcome him. Um, there shall not be a promiscuous woman among the daughters of Israel. And there shall not be a promiscuous man 
among the sons of Israel. <clears throat> Neither one of you. Nobody gets to go be promiscuous. Um, again, we talked last week, the, the woman caught in adultery. The, the first question you should have when you hear that a woman caught in adultery was dragged to Yeshua is, where's the man? Mm-hmm. I know. Because she was caught in adultery. She wasn't talking about adultery. She wasn't thinking about adultery. She was engaging in adultery. And she was dragged. <laughs> well, some, some scholars have posited that someone may have enticed her in order to create this very situation. Yep, and, and be able to drag her to Yeshua. So, and that it may have been someone that Yeshua knew or someone who was you know, one of the people that was, that was following around because there were a lot of women ministering to them. So, let's see. So, no promiscuous women, no promiscuous men. You shall not bring a harlot's hire or the exchange for a dog to the house of Hashem, your God. For any vow for both of them are an abomination of Hashem, your God. What? Yeah. <laughs> Good question. Okay, let's see. In the rabbinic notes in verse 19, an animal that had been used for either of these two purposes was not to be used for an altar offering. What two um, purposes? Harlot's hire? Um, That's why I said, what? <laughs> okay, first of all, it says... Um, Another com- Okay, for verses 18 and 19, it talks about sexual purity. It says, another common byproduct of war is sexual promiscuity, which is anathema to the Jewish concept of holiness. This passage forbids practices that undermine Israel's sanctity. It should be noted, however, that this passage, like the previous one, applies at all times. It is mentioned here only because it deals with situations that occur most often during war. So the escaped slave and the sexual promiscuity. So if you're camped outside of, of an area... And a slave from inside that town or their camp escapes and comes running over to you. He's he's rescued. He gets he gets um, yeah, what do we call amnity. it? Am, yeah, amnity. Well, yes, he gets amnity, but the the asylum. Okay. But and then and then he he's he stays among you. He's he's there. But the sexual purity is also um, a promiscuous. Okay, women and men who make themselves available constantly for sexual activity are the promiscuous women and promiscuous men. According to Ramban, this commandment is directed at the courts, instructing them not to permit such people to parade themselves in public to indicate their availability and to prevent the establishment and maintenance of places where such activities will take place. Which fits with when Paul talks about the women walking around uncovered, because in Rome, the only women who walked around with their heads uncovered were the promiscuous women. And that's why Paul tells them, don't, don't, be, coming, don't be coming to services looking like a harlot. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you walk among God's people looking that way? You know, it's custom to cover your head. Cover your head and, and be respectable. And otherwise you're tempting all the men around you to, to be thinking about you for something else. Um, so prevent the establishment and maintenance of places where such activities will take place. And then it says, a harlot's hire or the exchange for a dog. An animal that had been used for either of these two purposes may not be used for an altar offering because such use would be degrading to God. The repugnance of harlotry is obvious. Dogs are considered abominations because they were often trained to be vicious and thus became a menace to the public. 
It is common for sinners to try to legitimate the profits of their activities by contributing to charitable causes, by forbidding the use as offerings of animals given in exchange for harlotry or for dogs. The Torah symbolizes that ill-gotten gains cannot be cleansed by using them for holy ends. You can't, you can't launder your money through the church. God <laughs> regards such a practice as an abomination. So apparently dogs were considered vile creatures who people trained to be aggressive. And harlots were considered vile creatures. <laughs> and therefore... Um, you know, you basically you can't you can't go out and be paid for sex and then bring that money into God's temple for your offering, and you can't sell dogs for for aggressive violent animals. But, but I, kind of a modern translate, you can't win money at the dog fights, you know, or you can't you can't um, you know breed dogs for that purpose and sell them and then think that God's going to want that money, because. It's not that the money is no, you know, it's not, it's because it's not about the money. It's about what you did to get the money. You know, you shouldn't be doing those things. So don't think that you can kind of justify those things by, by saying, but I'm going to give the money to God. <laughs> so don't tithe with your drug money. Right, exactly, exactly. not say nothing about drugs. <laughs> your illegal drug money. That's right, that's right. Well, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't be thinking that you can go out and do, you know, illegal and, and evil things, but feel good about it because you're blessing. Yeah. <laughs> kind of makes me think mafia stuff, you know. <laughs> you, know you can't be out doing, I mean, there is no mafia, but don't <laughs> that you can go out and do things and then, and then be okay just because you blessed the church with it. Um, God says, I, I don't want it, you know. So going back in, I think we're caught up now, 19, you shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Um, from what I understand, just from historical study, is that the, the court rulings on this, and I'm going to see if it says, and I don't know why I closed this here because we're not done, but um, that they were not, in other places it talks about not charging usury of anybody, which is you know, excessive <laughs> credit card rate, interest rate. Um, and so that is actually why it was very often the Jewish people who became the bankers in Europe because the kings entrusted their money to them knowing that their religion prohibited them from charging undue interest, whereas if they entrusted it to anybody else, they could pretty much guarantee it was going to walk out the door. But the Jewish people were trusted with it because they weren't, by their religion, they were prohibited from stealing, they were prohibited from charging undue interest. And so that is, is how they ended up doing a lot of, uh, of the banking. So people who want to complain about you know, I've heard people, why are all you bankers? Why are the bankers? Well, they could be trusted with the money in, in the Middle Ages. And if you had the king's money, your business prospered. Because if you had the king's money, guess who else wanted you to have their money? Everybody who wanted to, you know, you know say, hey, king, we have the same banker, you know. <laughs> and if the king trusted you, they trusted you. All the bankers are women, gay men, and Mormons. 
No. <laughs> just here. Just here. That I worked with. <laughs> but if you refer, okay, so um, you may charge a foreigner interest, again, but not usury. Uh, verse 21, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. Or as Yeshua said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't swear on anything is the whole point. <laughs> you know, just do what you're going to do and say what you say and mean, mean it and do it. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. I heard that guy say that the other day. He said he remembers when a handshake was your, your word. Was mm -hmm. Now everybody's suing everybody. And, well, <laughs> I, I have to talk to somebody who shall remain nameless about don't tell the kids you're going to do something because you don't know what's going to happen between now and that time. Right. It's better to surprise them. Yeah, or tell them, yeah. tell them I will try to do that because as soon as you say... I'll do it, or as someone is inclined, yes, I promise I'll do it at that time, then when you fail them, you truly fail them, and you fail God. Just saying. But <laughs> and as nobody here, I guess. No, but... But, it, but the, thing, the thing isn't, because then the response is, well, what do you want me to do? This happened. I, I want you to just not say that. Say, I will try to do it, or I plan to do it after lunch, or if nothing else happens. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love you. I know, I know. That, oh, oh, Pastor Foul, though. Um, but I, but the, the point isn't that, you know, isn't the failing part. It's just don't, you just, you don't have to make that level of commitment. You can say, my plan, my goal, or I would like to do that with you. Let's see how the day goes. Because you don't know. You know, if you, if you vow to do something tomorrow and your house burns down tonight, you're not doing it tomorrow. You know, we had, um, do what? Oh, come on. Uh, well, we, we had uh, the co-owner of my children's um, dance studio passed away this week. Yeah, and um, after a battle with cancer, and when we knew, we found out she had gone into hospice last Wednesday, and I was trying to make plans to go visit her on on Friday because it was it was like eleven o'clock at night, and I said, no, we're going in the morning, because I knew we had nothing in the morning, um, you know, except our our homeschool day. We had no other obligations, and the last time I waited to go and visit someone in hospice they died before I got there. And I did not want that to happen to my children. So we went the next morning and we got to see her and we, we talked about going back on Monday. Um, you know, that, that was our tentative plan. And then um, my oldest son got very, very, very sick on Sunday. And so we talked about it and said, we don't know how long she has, but... If God chooses to keep her a month, we don't want to be the ones who take a virus or a bacteria into her immune-compromised situation. Knowing full well that that might mean we didn't see her again, but I, you know, and, and when that happened, my, my daughter was very distraught, and I said, that was a sacrifice of love. 
you, you got to see her. I made sure you got to see her and say goodbye to her. But that's why I didn't promise to take you back Monday, because I didn't know on Thursday what would happen by Monday. That's a lot of days. Mm -hmm. And we're a lot of people in our family, and a lot of stuff happens, and, and you just don't know. So, it, and it's, it's also a very, um, and Yeshua talked about this, it's about, it, it takes a level of humility to do this too, because like, because uh, James scolds everybody. He's like, stop saying you're going to go here and you're going to go there. And you're going to do this. You're, if the Lord wills it, because your plan, you know, is what it, people make plans and God laughs. You know, it's, it's like, oh, you think you're going to do that? That's so sweet. You know? <laughs> um, you know, and so not that I think we have to go around. I know a lot of people have done this at different times and in different, you know, well, if the Lord wills it, I'll do that. You know, but say, I would like to do that. That's a lovely plan. You know, let, let me see what that day holds. But if, if possible, I will be there. You know, it's, it's okay to take that humility and not, you know, it, God said, let there be light, and there was light. We don't quite have that immediate connecting ability, <laughs> and we would do well to, to remember that. So, you know, do, do what, if it passes your lips, you do it. It was a voluntary vow, and we've read previously that as soon as you vow, it becomes to you on level with fulfilling Torah. So if you vow it, and you don't do it, it's, it's sin. It's missing the mark. So if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, verse 24, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. So I can go to your fridge, even much as I want, <laughs> but I just can't No, no, no. You can eat what you want from my backyard. There's nothing growing there, so don't eat anything, because it would be gross. But <laughs> if we had a garden, you can come in. If we had a garden, and you were out there, and you picked a, a cucumber, you know, or a couple of cucumbers, whatever. Um, if you go, and yet, if, you know, when people are over, I try to feed them. If I have food they can eat that isn't the only thing that we have before. <laughs> If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. And, and this makes me think of when Yeshua drew the distinction between, the Israel, between his disciples plucking the grain as they walked through the field and working in the field. You know, they, they were not, yes, the court had ruled that, that that counted as work for Shabbat, but God drew a distinction. You know, you can, you can eat what you want while you're in the field walking through it, but it kind of makes me think of actually in Hawaii when, when you would be walking down the street and people's trees would be hanging over and, you know, it, it was just anything that was hanging over their fence, you just helped yourself to as you walked along the road and I'd come home full because I ate, you know, <laughs> passion fruit and mango and all sorts of stuff on my way home and, and uh, you know, you're fine. So, but you don't take a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. You don't go and, you know, put a ladder up and, and harvest, and, I mean, like, <laughs> like we do with the grapefruit, you know. <laughs> Unless you have their permission, you don't go and take all their grapefruit. <laughs> so Deuteronomy 24, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife 
after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So if you have two failed marriages, you can't go back to the first one. So the one. first one, right. But if you didn't take the second, you could go back to the first Yes, then. yes. If, if, if you, the first, well, yeah. If they'll yeah. have you, but I mean, yes. So you, you can't, if, if, so, if, and it talks about, in here, it talks about the fact that, um, if you sent her away because she was unfaithful, because that would be the indecency that you found in her. If you sent her away because she was unfaithful, and she went and married somebody else, and, and they sent her away, or, or died, and now she comes back, what makes you think she's suddenly faithful? <laughs> you know, she's lived this whole life as an unfaithful woman, and then sent, you know, several men have been like, whoa, stop sleeping around, get out, you know? And so this is what, this is what um, Hosea wrestles with. Um, because it says, it talk, it, you know, again, we find that w the word that's translated as prostitute all the time for women, but it was, she was probably an unfaithful woman that, that you know, God told her to take him, told him to take her as a wife, and then she was unfaithful, and she kept going off and living with other men, and God kept telling him to take her back, and that's what Hosea wrestles with, but that was a picture, God makes it clear through him, that that was a picture of Israel. That the reason God commanded not to do it is because it's not okay, and it's not okay when Israel does it to him. And as James says, it's not okay when believers do it to him either, when we go after other ideas and other religions and other philosophies that, that are at odds with, with God's word. And it, he calls them double-souled and says they've committed adultery. And so, um, and yet God is faithful, even when we're not. So, um, uh, then her, okay, so you, sh and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. You know, it's an abomination to do that. You'll bring sin on the land. Uh, verse 5, when a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. I like that law. No one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for that would be taking a life in pledge. So if somebody comes to you and they're so desperate that, that all they have is the means of their, their income, you cannot take the means of their income in pledge because you stop them from being able to earn income. And, and that would be making them your slave. Um, if a man is found stealing one of his brothers or the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. These are the passages that, that the rabbis understand to be referred to in the um, thou shalt not steal of the Ten Commands. Because if you steal stuff, the penalty is you return it and pay three times what you stole. But if you steal freedom, you die. And all of those ten are the death penalty things. Um, oops. What, what verse are we on? I think I lost Eight. it. Eight. Eight. Okay, I did. I doubled. I went. My arrows got away from me. Take care in a case of leprous disease to be very careful to do according to all that the Levitical priest shall direct you. As I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Now, they were the doctors. They were the doctors. They were the butchers. They were the, the cooks. They were the, um, 
But if you're leprous, be careful, please. And, and please, that's why my kids are home today. They're not leprous, but they're sick. They're staying home. Um, remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you, the loan, you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. Hey, babe, do you want to turn on the air? Is the air on? No. Okay, can you turn it on and make sure that front door is closed? Um, so in other words, if, if, if you loan somebody something, you don't get to go into his house and start taking his stuff because he didn't pay you. Um, and if he is a poor man, verse 12, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. So in other words, if a poor man brings you his coat in exchange for a loan, you have to give the coat back every night so that he doesn't have to sleep cold. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy. Um, Lil Marie is calling in. <laughs> who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord, and you be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest, so you can't take from those people a pledge. Therefore, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourners, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. In other words, go through your field once. Don't go back through it to get the rest. The rest is for the poor and the, the people who are in need. Um, when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourn of the fatherless and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourn of the fatherless and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Ruth, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we actually just read through Ruth uh, last month. And um, yeah, and that's why he was, eventually he moved her up to walk alongside his workers. He, he, he said, you get first pick of the field. Yeah. Um, so First Samuel 9. And, and this goes a little faster because it's our more storytelling. Um, but remember at the end of last time, they came to Samuel and they're like, we want a king like all the other nations. And Samuel's like, oh, why do you want a king? This is not good. Remember what God told you, which we had also just read. Um, you know, it won't go well with you. He's going to do all these horrible things. They're like, nope, we want a king. And God said, it's okay. Do what they said. Give them a king. They haven't rejected you as judge. They've rejected me. So 1 Samuel 9, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becharoth, son of Aphia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. For his shoulder, from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So he, basically everybody else came up to his shoulders. Where are you? 1 um, Samuel 9. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We finished the Deuteronomy. Um, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. 
So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And as we read, I think it was last week, if you found somebody's donkey or ox or whatever wandered onto your land, you had to take care of it till they came for it. So he's going to go try and see who, see where they are. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. And then we get a little history lesson. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to the servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Now, This is kind of a precursor to Saul's demise because he, he's in the habit of going to the prophets when things aren't working out well for him. And in this case, he's going to go to Solomon and he's going to find out that he's going to be king. But then when he goes to the seer at the end to bring back Solomon <laughs> to tell him things. Or, or to, uh, Elijah, Elijah. Yeah, but when he but he goes to the he goes to the seer to call on you was know Nathan or Elijah. I think it was a I think it was Elijah. I think it was Elijah at the end of Saul's life. Oh. Um, but here he says uh, cuz um, Samuel is the prophet right now, but Saul said to the servant, "Well said, come let us go." So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry, he has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat till he comes since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city, and they were as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. For uh, he shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys, they were lost three days ago. Do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that, it, for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? 
Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a, a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about thirty persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See what has kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day, and when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the, on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the streets. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell your servant to pass on before us, and when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, and I, that I may make known to you the word of God. Um, going to chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And you will greet, they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibrath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Okay, now... If someone comes to you with a prophecy about the future, it is not up to you to go and make it happen. It's up to you to wait and see if God makes it happen. And if they come with any less detail than this, hold back even more. <laughs> because if God's going to do it, he'll show you how or he'll accomplish it. When we go running out and doing it, we don't do it right. So this is pretty detailed. You're going to go here, and this is going to happen. Then you're going to go here, and this is going to happen. And then you're going to go here. And before that, this, you know, and then this. And then when you get to this point, you will know that what I'm saying is true because all these things have happened. Trust that the Lord's with you and do what your hand finds to do. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, or to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. So at that point, that description is he was saved. God gave him a new heart. Um, when and so you know when when the Old Testament talks about people getting right with the Lord, it's the same description as in the New Testament. The same thing happening. But does that have anything to go against free will? Um, no, because he could have rejected all of this. He could have said, I don't want it. Okay. Okay. That was his choice. Yeah. Okay. So he's, you know, he, he had, had an encounter with God and, um, and recognized it and, okay. and, and accepted it and had a new heart. 
When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And this fits with actually what we see in Acts, and because we've seen it several times now with the Israelites when they were all called out and purified themselves to become the Sanhedrin, is that they prophesied. So when it talks about, in that passage, when it talks about speaking in tongues, it's talking about speaking in other languages and speaking forth the word of God. So there's, which, which is not to say, you know, anything about tongues, because I do believe that tongues is a gift, but I think that as a spiritual language, but that it, it is not the sign of salvation and it is not um, the evidence that you are saved and it is not, I don't think, supposed to be used the way a lot of places do use it. Um, because what this, this confirms as we go through each of these times is when the Spirit of God is upon you, you speak forth the Word of God. And if you are speaking forth the Word of God, that is you know, that is not generally something that people, the, a lot of, the people who are quote-unquote speaking forth the word of God who are not actually from God are twisting the word of God and saying things that can't be found in scripture and they're, they're you know, they're doing more like what Satan did, which is, did God really say this, you know? So if you're prophesying and proclaiming the word of God, that, that's the, you know, that's the evidence that, that you, um, have had that change, have been saved. So, and when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, and who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? Okay, a little bit of cultural... <laughs> history there. When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had been spoken, he did not tell him anything. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribes of ben tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. <coughs> then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. And they have a king now, <laughs> you know, and yet not so auspicious, or I guess quite, quite auspicious, you know, 
Okay, come to get to know your king. Since you've rejected God, yeah. this is who's going to lead you from now on. Which may be why he was hiding in the baggage. <laughs> Maybe that did not seem quite like a quite like a calling he was, you know, all gung ho for. So, um, but before we stop the recording, I want to do the blessing. And uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Amen. Amen. And. Um,